Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. Grateful to have you here. I'm actually out on the road right now, so I'm recording in a hotel room on my iPhone, and I've got a great conversation for you today that's been pre-recorded. Brother Kenneth Magwood came into studio a few weeks ago, and he shared an excellent message from the book of Galatians chapter 2 that I think you're really going to enjoy. So let's jump straight into it, shall we? Okay, so I'm here with Kenneth Magwood, my very first co-host from way, 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 way a long time ago. And I haven't listened to those episodes since we recorded them because, <laughs> you know, those were scripted back then. Now I, I try to interview people and make it more natural and genuine in the responses. And so I'm just afraid that it'll be cringeworthy if I go back and listen to myself <laughs> back in episode number one. But uh, I'm very thankful that you're here with me today. Thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you for asking. And uh, I brought you here because a couple months ago, at our home congregation, we went through a series of Bible studies in the book of Galatians, and you were assigned Galatians 2, verse 11 through 21, and you titled it, Withstood Him to His Face, or maybe that's the title on some of the of the uh, Bibles that we read out of as well. But I was very encouraged and touched, and uh, it was just a very powerful Bible study that you really enlightened a lot of things for me, and so I want others to hear about it as well. You asked two questions, and so let's just use that as a springboard, and and then you can uh, start explaining things to me. Okay. First, you asked a basic question, why did Paul withstand Peter to his face? And the second question is, why was it important that he did that? Now, let's pretend like I have no background in this scripture. Can you begin with maybe explaining what happened? Uh, Yeah, so you can think of there was a two groups of people um, that had recently been converted to the faith. And so they needed, they still needed some guidance and they were still learning their way in the faith. And so uh, Paul, Peter and Barnabas, Mm -hmm. um, they were apostles and they were given the word of God to help these, these two groups, you know, all groups of people to, to grow and learn in the word of God. And so two people who, two groups that didn't normally associate with each other. Correct. Uh, historically, um, things related to God, God had the Jews um, do a lot of his work. And so the Jews have a reputation historically and scripturally uh, for being those that worshiped God. Whereas in the scriptures, when we hear about the Gentiles, they usually have a negative connotation as being uh, very uh, fleshly and just doing basically the opposite. Right. And in fact, um, I recall you, you brought this up in the study, uh, and it makes me think about a scripture in Galatians, or rather Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, don't walk like mm-hmm. the Gentiles. And it doesn't mean that Gentiles can't be Christians, but just in general, that name is associated with worldliness. So that yeah. Yeah. that's a good point to bring up. So these, these two groups, they come, they're trying to work together in the church. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, so they're helping them. What happened next? Uh, so... Peter was spending time with both groups. Um, when he was with the Gentiles and mm-hmm. talking to them, he you know he acted normal. He ate with them. He associated with them. But when the Jews came, then he would act skittish. He would get up. He would leave. He would not eat and associate with them. Mm. And so, uh, from looking in it or from outside, you know the Gentiles were kind of like, "Hey, what's 
you know, what's going on, why? Right, double standard. Exactly. And uh, Paul sees this, Paul witnesses this um, happening, and so he addresses the matter uh, in, a, in a very public way. Okay, so Paul, thus the title, withstood Peter to his face. He wasn't going to do it one-on-one. He needed everybody to hear what he mm-hmm. had to say. I guess let's let's talk about that first big question. Why did he withstand him to his face? And uh, maybe we could read from verse, I have written down here, verse 14. Maybe a couple verses from there could give us some background before you answer that question. Yeah, so very quickly, uh, verse 14 says, but when, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the gospel, the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And so basically the the question he's posing to them is, if you're going to act in one manner and you want all men to act in that manner, then why are you changing? Mm. Why are you acting differently in front mm. of another group? Um, and so Paul, he says it pretty, I mean, pretty openly and publicly. And I believe the reason he does that is because uh, Peter wasn't really a small fry. He had a lot of influence publicly. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he on the day of Pentecost, he was up there speaking, and that right. was thousands, or, I mean, a large number of, of, of Jews. Mm-hmm. So for him to do something would carry a lot of weight. And so the opposite of true, for him to do something incorrectly or, or sinful would carry a lot of weight, and a lot of people could imitate that, or it, it had a lot of potential for trouble. That's a good point that he is an influencer in the church beyond just himself. Uh, he's a very important player. I like that. He's not a small fry, as you say it. But let's talk about the man himself. What do you think he's afraid of with the Jews? This is a, a point that you kind of bring up in the in the study that his motivation likely was fear or how mm-hmm. others perceived him. But But what caused that? Well, I believe the scriptures say that he he was afraid. He had fear. And so as I was thinking about it, look at some of the other scriptures. This isn't Peter's first encounter with Gentiles. Right. Um, There's another instance that comes to mind where he's God tells him to go to Cornelius or he was going to encounter Cornelius. Who's Cornelius? So Cornelius, he was a centurion. He was basically a commander of of a group of, of soldiers. Okay. Um, what's important is he's a Gentile. Uh-huh. And so... He's non-Jewish. Correct. Okay. He's the first Gentile um, to actually be added to the body of Christ. Okay. So it was a, is a precedent here. Um, so he goes to them and he, he preaches the gospel. And, and so basically the Gentiles, the Cornelius' group, are added to the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But what happens afterwards is word gets around that Peter was entertaining or with these Gentiles. Right. And so in the Jewish community, that didn't happen. There was an interaction between Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So his, uh, you know, his com- companions, you know, the other Jews, they started blaming him or pointing at him. They're like, they were accusing him of basically doing something that a Jew should not do. Selling out. It, essentially, you could, I mean, I guess, yeah, that would be a proper term. Um, and so he justifies himself, but... Within that, we see this kind of stigma within their own culture, like, hey, don't talk to those people. Why are you doing that with those people? And um, Peter kind of had to be prompted even for that encounter. Yeah. Um, uh, in various ways, it was a a vision um, that God presented to right. him. 
right um, in the vision god uh multiple times has to remind him that what i have made clean don't you know, don't call unclean don't call it unclean i like to read from x10 if you don't mind yeah yeah um when peter kind of gets that epiphany now this is before the jewish party or the jewish group the circumcision group the scripture calls it many different ways depending on the translation but i want to read from x10 where peter kind of has this realization that jews and gentiles can be one in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. I think it's a great light bulb moment Mm -hmm. in in the apostle's life where he recognizes that something's changed Mm -hmm. between this moment and then years later his, his, I guess, uh, two-facedness that's going on. And uh, as you said, the scriptures are saying that it's because he was afraid. What happened in that time with this Jewish circumcision group? What kind of influence did they have? Or or what what was their main objective that that maybe led to this uh, encounter with Paul and Barnabas and Peter? Well, I think this is what I find extremely interesting, is that the Jews were God's chosen people. To You know, their, their job was to be a light to the world. And so... It's not that they came up with their own ways and customs. God told them certain things to do. Right. You know, don't eat this meat, dress this way, you know. Mm-hmm. And over a period of time, about 1,500 years, these they did these things. And so it was just routine for them. It was a part of their culture, their tradition. It was things they were proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they these actions or traditions, you know, they wore them as a sign of this is what a Jew is. Yeah. And, uh, it was a badge of honor. Yeah, exactly. And so when God kind of changes that and said, these actions are no longer required, specifically circumcision, mm-hmm. that was that was something they were very proud of. When God says, hey, circumcision is no longer needed, um, there was this, you know, they didn't really want to let it go. <laughs> they were like, well, to divorce circumcision is kind of to lose who I am. And so there were some that wanted to try to still bring circumcision uh, or part of their culture into this, into the church. And they wanted to bind it on people who didn't share that mm-hmm. culture or heritage, right? Um, that was their way, I guess, of trying to make everybody one, you know. Uh-huh. Baptism wasn't enough to bring everybody one into Christ. You had to be circumcised first mm-hmm. and then baptized. doesn't fly in the New Testament. Um, earlier, I before we started recording, I shared with you my favorite phrase from your study. I was wondering, I don't want to steal your thunder by saying it, but but (laughs) (laughs) this is a good time to bring it up. Will you share with me, please, what you said about heritage and inheritance? Um, This whole thing, I kind of have a phrase I like to say, uh, specifically with Peter. It seems at times that he was more focused on his heritage instead of his inheritance. Mm. And, you know, he, and to be honest, the Jews were like this. They, the scriptures even said they would have debates about who they came from in this lineage, and they were constantly looking back, right? Um, not realizing that Christ died and is giving you something new. This this thing forward uh, supersedes that, and they were so caught up in who they where they came from that they weren't paying attention to where they were trying to go. We, we probably are going to talk about this towards the end of the study, whenever we get into the application phase. But I want to bring it up now, at least. Could this happen to us today? Yeah, most definitely. It's uh, 
it is something that I think can happen very easily because we can sometimes like the Jews, I believe mistake was they took the actions of God. Like God isn't bound by an action. If he says, you know, the circum, you know, to be circumcised, all hail circumcision, we glorify the circumcision. And that's just the method that God decided to use. He could Mm -hmm. very well just, you know, change his mind and, and say, you know, put a, I don't know, a rubber band on your ear or, or, you know, something right. like that. And today we can get caught up in a particular method or way of doing thing as if this is the only way to do it instead of realizing God uses methods and he can use any method as long as it's scriptural, you know, you're fine instead of just binding one. I, I feel, you know, you and I have a different background in the Lord's church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a first-generation Christian, and I mean that in the sense that it did, your faith didn't come to you instilled from your parents, and then you chose it for yourself, but rather you studied it out for yourself and obeyed the gospel, whereas I come from a multi-generational mm-hmm. Christian home where my parents, uh, my grandparents were Christians, and so when I obeyed the gospel, I still had to obey the gospel in faith. You know, it wasn't my parents that saved me, but mm-hmm. I had some heritage the and and so i guess the point i'm trying to get at is uh i wonder sometimes if that heritage if we use that uh to our detriment mm-hmm. versus those who maybe don't have that heritage whenever we start binding things or uh holding on to things or being proud of things that really have little value mm-hmm. as far as salvation's concerned the inheritance factor because we're focusing more on the heritage where we come from Anyway, that's my soapbox moment for the day. <laughs> I want you to maybe focus on Paul's reply. Uh, maybe we could read a couple verses where Paul begins this this statement. It, it lasts several verses. It's theologically very deep. We've already established that he needed to correct him to his face so that others could see this very influential mistake or the influential person who's making the mistake being corrected and, and willing to take a stand for the truth versus mm-hmm. um, being duplicitous. And uh, so could you please read maybe a couple verses worth of what Paul begins, and then we can maybe chat about that for a minute. So, yeah, he's basically the way the Jews lived um, up until the point of, of, you know, the crucifixion and, and Christ dying and we get into a new Testament, they lived according to what's called the law of Moses. And so it was a, you can think of a guideline um, mm-hmm. or to help us get to a point where we could understand uh, the commands of Christ and the things that he wants us to do. But basically they live by these rules and regulations called the law, the law of Moses. And so part of that within that was to be circumcised. And so if you weren't uh, the Jews under that command, they weren't supposed to go into the house of those that weren't circumcised. They weren't mm-hmm. supposed to fellowship with people that did not do that command. But Jesus took that away. He took that old command away, mm-hmm. uh, and we were under the law of liberty. And so he tells Peter, if you're living under this law of liberty, which allows you to be able to to fellowship with anybody, why do you still act as though you're under the law of Moses? Mm-hmm. Like you can't fellowship with certain people. And it was a rhetorical question because Peter already knows the answer. The people there already know the answer. Everybody realizes it i mean barnabas is there um but for some reason they just decide to go with it 
Right. That's a good point to bring up that this was such a sticky issue that Barnabas went along with Peter mm-hmm. in, in this, that he went along with him in the hypocrisy. So a Judaizer is somebody who is living according to the law of Moses, like you said, and Paul's reply is to live uh, by the word of God. Let me read verse 20 to you and then have you comment on that. Okay. It, this is kind of the, the, the climax of his point that he's making. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if by righteousness, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Why does Paul end with that? I think Paul... This is to me like the the knockout the knockout punch. <laughs> um, that this last statement here, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Mm-hmm. He makes this comparison and is saying, if the law of Moses could save us, what was the point of Jesus coming to die? That's right. Like, why did he waste thirty mm-hmm. something years on the earth to be treated like that if we could get to heaven, <laughs> you know, without it? Right. And so. It's really saying that we are wasting the sacrifice of Christ when we do things like mm-hmm. this, when we we take traditions or cultures and, you know, that we see merit in. And the, the interesting thing about this is, I think, as humans, we have a tendency to join what we consider to be right with what we like in terms of how we do things. Um, mm, okay. For example, um, I heard from Brandy Ballard the definition of cultures saying this is how we do things. So like your family has a way of eating <laughs> breakfast or a way of celebrating a birthday. It's just your way of doing things. There's nothing right. wrong with that. Um, sometimes we couple, at least in my, like how I grew up, we coupled certain, like how we ate dinner with the false doctrine. We didn't think, we, I didn't think it was, you know, false, but we coupled what we considered spiritual things into our regular routine. And so when I learned that, um, that spiritual aspect that I infused with my everyday activities was incorrect. I had to try to separate that, but Mm. they was a part of who I was, what I did, what my family did was kind of just a part of my culture. And so to try to separate that and say, well, actually what I was doing was wrong. My family looked at me as though, well, we don't know who you are anymore. Like this is what we do. Wow. I'm trying to make a connection back to the first century since that's what's happening here, but it sounds like if a Jew is abandoning circumcision for mm-hmm. Christ, then the Jews around him are going to look at him and think, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, this is what we bonded over, man. Like, I mean, this is <laughs> like, this is our thing. And uh, it could have been scary because now all of a sudden the things that made you unique, that made you you, that the world recognized you as. Now it's it's not that thing that does all that. Right. Now there's something greater right. than that. And so now you got to get on board. And for some to, so some of them, I can imagine it's like, well, now we got to take on this new way of doing things, mm-hmm. this new culture, this new life. And it's not just us. It's these other group of people right. doing it, too. So how can I, you know, lead you in some, it's kind of just new to everybody. We're becoming like, I guess I think of it as a new married couple, you know, Mm -hmm. husband has a way of doing things. 
wife has a way of doing things. They both love their way, but when you try to force the other to <laughs> right to do it, you have issues. <laughs> but together, eventually, you become one, and then your family has a completely new way of doing that. And we're in God's family, so we need to do yeah. things His way, this new yeah. way. In Ephesians 2 and 3, it talks about the mystery of Christ, and that mystery is that, that the two becoming one, the Gentiles and the Jews becoming one mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. This is the great mystery since the foundation of the world and how challenging it was. They're living it in real time. We're looking at it in hindsight, but mm-hmm. we're struggling with some of those issues today as well. You asked a question in your study. How do you think the Gentiles felt? And I thought that was a very interesting question because a lot of times we focus on the Jews, you know, oh, they had this heritage issue. They had to give it up. Uh, what a great struggle it must have been for the Jews to give it up, etc. But you challenged me in the audience. How do you think the Gentiles felt in this? I'm wondering if you want to maybe ask that question rhetorically and then mm-hmm. answer it as well. Well, I mean, I'd like to give some things maybe to consider because I can't sit here and say definitively this is what they thought. Sure, sure. But I think a lot of us can kind of relate to that Um kind of like a little brother big brother mentality the jews for for you know centuries had this reputation of being god's people right and so these newcomers into christ i would imagine them saying hey we get to be brethren with you know god the people the the jews yeah like they know what they're doing they we know about their stories how god protected them Uh like Uh you know they were the first ones to come into the faith the thing that we believe so I would imagine they would like, hey, let's let's you know, I want to I want everything that you have. And mm-hmm. and then to kind of be shunned, you know, and like, right. well, they would have felt that rejection. And so how what do they do with that? How do they rectify like, OK, well, God is love with brothers and sisters. And but, you know, is there something wrong with me? Is did I you know, it it would introduce a lot of doubt. Right. And they will be in the devil's playground. I mean, mm-hmm. And so how they felt, I would imagine they would have they would have felt rejected and they would have to come. They would have to overcome that. Right. And to me, that is an an unnecessary burden that was placed on their brother. And that's just social. It's just a social burden. One of the things that I struggle with, maybe others do as well as approval. Mm -hmm. Like I want to have the approval of certain people and sometimes seeking their approval it's almost on level with seeking God's approval. And that's when it's dangerous is when you start to change your habits and ways to seek approval of people who really shouldn't matter as much. I'm, I'm like you said, this is conjecture. It's not something Mm -hmm. we can say definitively, but the temptation to get circumcised Mm -hmm. so that these Jew Jewish brethren would accept you. Yeah. uh, You know, the Gentiles are, are in their own struggle as well, spiritually of, turning a little bit to the law in order to get some fellowship Mm -hmm. instead of trusting and relying in the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. It's really opening up verse 20. All of the possibilities of why Paul ends by saying, it's no longer I who live, Mm -hmm. but Christ who lives in me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. That's, uh, I take those words to heart because, um, it's an it's an interesting dance, you know, um, and I just keep thinking about, you know, the husband and the wife, because it's not that the husband's experiences just disappear or the wife's experiences just disappear. It's not like they just, you know, if your family has an accent or y'all did things a certain way, it's just now this isn't paramount. This isn't the 
the end all be all. You have mm-hmm. to be able to say, I'm going to submit some of these things that used to take top priority. So something else can take top priority. And in, in with this example, the thing that decreases is us. When we right. die with Christ and we're buried, to some degree, we're bearing some of that past so that we can make room for Christ to be this new center. Yeah. And um, both of them had to do that to say, it's no longer me, it's no longer my ways, it's no longer, uh, I mean, what I'm used to. I think, you know, if you have any young men out here that are planning on getting married, it's similar to that. Like, it's, mm. you took care of yourself, you did things your way, and then you realize, oh, snap, it's, <laughs> <laughs> if I want to make this work, it's not about me. Otherwise, you're doing a disservice to your loved one. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and as a group, uh, I think it's the same way because if we either party doesn't do it, then we dishonor God mm-hmm. who is, it's, it's the same thing. He, Christ is, I mean, the church is the bride of Christ. So we're basically, you know, rejecting his bride mm-hmm. and, and treating them in, in in a way that God doesn't want them to be treated, you know? Yeah, I, I get it. And I, w- I want to maybe pause just to make a, statement in case somebody happens to be confused about the content that we're talking about here. We're talking about heritage that can be flexible. We're not talking about the doctrine or the inheritance, uh, the scriptures, the apostles' doctrine, etc. That's not flexible. And mm-hmm. when we all become one in Christ, we all become one in Christ based on what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. We worship based on what the scripture says, etc. Sometimes people might get confused when they hear us talking about being flexible in terms of our heritage and what we can mm-hmm. give up, et cetera. And they think, well, are you talking about, uh, you know, abandoning the pattern of the Bible? Of course not. Mm-hmm. That's not what's on trial here. We're asking people to consider maybe their cultural preconceptions. Yeah. It's the elevation of one's culture above the scripture. Mm-hmm. For example, notice circumcision still happens today. <laughs> like it's not like right. <laughs> nobody's, <laughs> nobody does it anymore. But it's it's no longer paramount. We don't say this is a must in order to please God. So that part of the culture is still there, but the significance had to change. It could not be the determining factor. So they had to make an adjustment in, in their perspective and in their understanding and tolerance. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, whereas circumcision, there was no negotiation about that. It's you do this or it's a huge assault. And then they had to be able to say, okay, God, if this is what you say about it, I need to make the change. It doesn't mean I have to quit that, but right. I need to make my necessary changes right. to not cause issues. And it's the same way with our culture. Mm-hmm. The things that are, that are in your family, that are in your heritage, that you don't necessarily have to let go of, but it can't be elevated to the point where it supersedes the scriptures. I have one final question for you. Okay. Did Peter heed Paul's admonition? Peter did heed Paul's admonition. Um, I think deep down... Uh, Peter is a representation of a lot of us where Mm -hmm. we struggle with certain things. Um, And so if Peter definitely heeded his words because he goes on, he does great things and he warns, um, you know, when he's older in uh, second Peter, he's like, Hey guys, I'm about to go. Um, I'm getting kind of old and I want to tell you some things to watch out for. And, right. and so he doesn't specifically outline, hey, don't eat with the Gentiles, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the sentiment of following Christ and being um, cautious of false doctrine. Right. 
he he outlines that one of the mm-hmm. things was the false doctrine mm-hmm. here was was uh, Judaizing or, or uh, circumcision. Right. So he directly takes what he's learned, and then he's admonishing you know these people through letters, and and even after his death, he says, "Keep doing this even when I'm gone." Right. Don't don't copy what I've right. done, and, and so I mean we just you know learned about that a few weeks ago actually we're still learning about that Mm -hmm. today so yeah he definitely took it to heart you know what i enjoy about peter i relate to him a lot um a lot of his qualities i feel like i'm similar uh his brashness etc putting his foot in his mouth from time to time but one of the qualities that i admire about him is that he didn't just stomp away like his feelings weren't hurt he didn't take it personally from what you just suggested his epistles later in life showing that he used this as a moment to learn mm-hmm. and to listen and not just as a to be personally offended how dare you say this in front of everyone you should have taken me aside and had a heart to heart but no now I'll never talk to you again Paul brother I'm wondering if there's a final word you'd like to share um, maybe something that we've missed uh, maybe a question I didn't ask is there anything from this study or uh, just a final note you'd like to add to what we've been talking about I guess what I would just say is that you know the beautiful thing about the the church is that the things that make us unique as a person make the church unique as mm. an entity. Um, we, as human beings, we connect socially. And so there's something that you may, you know, have had in your past that helps me to be able to relate to you. And, and that past can be used as a way of forging a beautiful future and a strong right. future. Right. Um, so I would say, don't be ashamed of your past, but don't let it control your future. I like that taking it to the phrases of heritage and inheritance. Uh, you know, be grateful for your heritage, but don't let your heritage impact your inheritance. Yeah. Crucify it. Crucify that heritage. Thank you very much for coming on. I'm grateful for this Bible study opportunity. May God bless you in the future with your studies. You too. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Brother Kenneth for coming on. Grateful for that opportunity to have a Bible study conversation with him you can find this podcast and all of the other episodes available at www.pureandsimplebible.com. There's a lot of different ways that you can download it, subscribe on the different platforms. Please do so. It's helpful for me in the ministry that I operate there. There's a ton of resources available for you as well on the website, so I encourage you to look around and check out what's helpful for you as you share the gospel with your friends or learn about the gospel yourself. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.